So this is our last large group uh, in and our last foray into the book of Revelation where we have been all semester. And as we have said uh, or tried to say, um, mainly because of Nate's amazing artistic ability. Yeah, and sorry for the handouts tonight. My computer, which is all of two years old, just decided it didn't want to turn on anymore. Uh, so I had to go with the plain text format of the handout tonight. As we've said, that what we try to see this semester in the book of Revelation is that heaven and earth collide. And what we've meant by that is that the reason that Jesus gives the visions that he does to John so he can give them to us is so that we can see that heaven and earth collide, that we can begin to see with new eyes, with spiritual eyes, to see things as heaven sees them. Not, Revelation has not been, and I do not believe it is, a roadmap of the future. It does mention things in the future. There's a hand, There's more than once it talks about the last day and the last judgment. But usually it is a very small section and a very small collection of verses. But elsewhere, it is giving us a, a divine perspective, a heavenly perspective on this life until Jesus comes back again. But tonight, as the book ends, as the vision ends, Jesus wants to give us a picture of our ultimate destiny. Not so that we can just hold on and hope we make it, but actually so that in knowing our ultimate destiny, we may be able to wake up tomorrow and live life to the fullest without fear and in confidence. I agree. I've heard it said before, and I think I agree. There's, in our culture today, there really is little to no taboos left. You know what a taboo is? You might just know what the game is, right? Um, but a taboo is like something that like, you're not supposed to talk about, right? Um, and I'm sure there are some, like, taboo, you know, there's probably Mercer taboos or Southern taboos, you know, whatever. But, you know, I could bring up pretty much any topic of sexuality with any of you um, during the week, and you wouldn't flinch. Whereas 30 years ago, 40 years ago, maybe even 10 years ago, people would have been like, um, why are you talking about that, right? But I do also agree, man, that Amber Alert is getting serious. Um, I also agree that there actually is one last, unspoken, very big taboo, and it's this. It's the topic of death. You want to stop a conversation dead in its tracks, you bring up how someone close to you died, and people will run. (laughs) And not because they don't care for you, and not because they don't care, but because we don't know how to handle the topic. We have been anesthetized to death. There are people that, and there may be some of you here today, that have never been to a funeral before. That is a very real possibility um, in this room. Um, And and there's all different kinds of reasons. We just don't know, we don't know what to say. We don't want to say the wrong thing, right? There's all different kinds of reasons. I don't want to go into a deep talk about that. But we're all kind of, there's kind of this awkwardness of we're all trying to avoid at all costs one undeniable truth. That death becomes us all. We know it. We all know it. But we will avoid that. In everything that we do in our life, we will avoid it. Um, that that is true. I want you to remember, and we've said this almost every week, if not every week, that Revelation was written by a real person, John, to real people in real churches, in real places, living real lives with real struggles, with real doubts, with real questions, and the list goes on. And for them, death was a very real and present phenomenon. 
It wasn't something that surprised them, okay? It was a part of their everyday life, probably. Revelation was written to give them comfort and encouragement in living this life, not in just waiting until the inevitable. It was written to give them encouragement and boldness in living this life in Christ. And the last two chapters of this book, Revelation 21 and 22, they leave us with a vision of the ultimate destiny of those who are in Christ. That is the picture that we're given. And here's the question I want to ask you before we read it. What if that destiny is not so much intended to help us cope with things like death, though it does, is not so much intended to help us know what to say in times of grief, though it does. But actually, it is meant to transform us in the here and now. To live our lives, not, get this, not to live our lives in the fear of the inevitable, but in the power of it. With that in mind, let's start in Revelation 21, verse 1, and then we'll read through verse 5 of chapter 22. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come and I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. It's 12 angels and on the gates, then, oh, I skipped, sorry. Out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and its walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. 
So the, the wall was built of jasper. The city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper. The second, sapphire. The third, agate. The fourth, emerald. The fifth, onyx. The sixth, carnelian. The seventh, chrysolite. The eighth, beryl. The ninth, topaz. The tenth, chrysoprase. And the eleventh, jacinth. And the twelfth, amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. Grass withers and the flowers fade. The word of our God stands forever. This is God's word for us tonight. I want to see with you three inevitabilities. Three inevitabilities of our ultimate destiny. Okay, our new location, our new look, and our new life. Our new location, our new look, our new life. First one is our new location. And there's maybe, uh, for some of you or most of you, there's um, a lot of maybe familiar imagery throughout this passage of heaven. Okay, we kind of get it here that that John is seeing heaven. He's seeing eternity as we will spend it uh, if we are in Christ, right? And the first eight verses, I want to hone in. Look at the first eight verses. They give us a a glimpse uh, of what kind of place it will be. And there's two things that I really want to emphasize here at the beginning. And it's this. The first one is this. I hope you notice this. Maybe it's plain to you, maybe it's not, maybe you never thought of it. Heaven is not and will not be somewhere up there or somewhere out there. Where is it? It's here. Verse 2 says very plainly that we will not go to heaven. Heaven will come to us. You know, we're quick to say, some people are quick to say, we're quick to say, uh, you know, when, some, when we talk about death, right, well, you know, they're in a better place. And, and if they were in Christ, right, that's true. I, that's not a, a false statement. But if we're honest, we kind of say that, you know, well, they're in a better place. We don't really know why we say it, <laughs> right? Because if we're honest, we know that when we kind of think of heaven and eternity, we're like, we kind of think of it as this kind of uh, ethereal transparent, kind of like misty spiritual existence that we can't really wrap our minds around so there's no reason to really think about it, right? 
It's worth noting, I don't know if you care or not, but it's worth noting that in early church history, it was clearly marked a heresy, right? Uh, Worthy of excommunication. To believe, to overly separate the spiritual from the physical as if one was better than the other, right? That was an early church uh, heresy uh, in many different forms, but generally called Gnosticism. What John sees here suggests that heaven for eternity is a very real and solid, renewed earth. It is when heaven and earth will become one once again. That is heaven. That's the location. Think about this. What did Jesus, what are one of the hallmarks of what Jesus taught us to pray? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, how? On earth as it is in heaven, right? That is how Jesus taught us to pray. So the Christian is always trying to bring heaven down to earth, to see earth transformed by heaven in the here and now. And the promise of Revelation 21, Revelation 21 is that one day it will all come true. That once and for all, this earth will be completely transformed. Now, side note, what about the passages in the Bible that say that, that, that everything will be wiped away like fire? Well, it says that the earth will be wiped away. It says it in this passage here. Earth and heaven will pass away. And a new earth and a new heaven will take its place. And the thing is, they will be one. Another side, we could go on and on about this, but I want to move on. But, you know, a lot of people usually ask, like, are we going to recognize each other in heaven? If this is true, then absolutely. Because though we cannot quite fathom how beautiful and perfect it will be, it will be this in a perfect state. So surely we will recognize each other and we will probably all be in the library because we went to Mercer, right? Ha! Anyway, just joking. The library will be a magnificent, beautiful place. Anyway, second thing about this location. Another emphasis on this location is that it is totally new. It is totally, completely new. It is ever new. Verse five tells us that there's something eternally new in the character of God, that though he is the ancient of days, that there is something about him, that he is ever the God who is making things new. And in the end, every single thing will be made new by him. Now, I think we get this, okay? We, we live in a historical moment where we get new things faster, faster and faster and faster, right? Um, newer phones, newer computers, newer watches, new technology, over, you know, we're always getting new things. And no matter how fast and how much new stuff we get, what do we always want? The new thing. Doesn't matter how fast we get new things, we want the new thing. Could that be... I'm not even asking. It is an echo of the longing of our hearts, all of our hearts, that we ultimately long for a day when all things will be made new. Be no more tears, no more death, no more crying, no more pain. If the thought of such a place does not evoke, does not tug at the heartstrings, right? You've either lived your life in a bubble or you are very sadly cynical about life. 
But this says it's a reality. Now, here's the question before we move on from this. The question is worth asking. Is this not escapism? Okay, maybe I agree with you. Heaven is a renewed earth. Everything's going to be made new. But even waiting for that day, is that not just escapism? Is that not just like kind of a a way to look at life through rose-colored glasses and just try to hold on and ignore the problems in our lives in the world? Well, Eugene Peterson puts it best. Let's read this and I'll move on. He says it like this. He says, heaven is not remote, either in time or space but immediate. Heaven is not what we wait for until the rapture or where we go and we die, but it is what it is. Barely out of the range of our senses, but brought to our senses by John's visions. We are now able to look upon the events around us, not as a hopeless morass of deception and human misery, but as the birth pangs of a new creation and a beckoning to participate in God's remaking of God's creation. So this tells you, I don't know if you're a social justice warrior, this, this tells you things like this. If you care about the health of our planet, if you care about things like sex trafficking, if you care about justice in the world, what this is telling you is that your labors and your efforts are not in vain. Because one, God, one day God will actually bring those things to completion. You're actually participating in God's will of making all things new. That's the location. What about the new look? Because see, here's the thing. The bulk of this passage isn't about a location. It's about what it looks like, right? But here's the thing. Did you see what I said? I said, it's about our new look. And if you start looking like verse nine onward, aren't you thinking, but in the bulk of this passage about what heaven looks like? Let me read verse two. And I saw the holy city New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, what does she look like? Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. That's weird. Why would a city look like that? Let's read verses 9 and 10. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls, and he said, Come, and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. We've seen before that that's us, right? Then he looks, and what does he see in verse 10? He carried me away in the spirit and he showed me what? The holy city, Jerusalem. Okay, what is this about? I don't wanna blow your mind, but here it is. This is not about a city that we will live in. It's about us. It's not about what the city will look like, but rather symbolic pictures of what we, the people of God, will look like in communion with our God for eternity. Now, I really hope that doesn't ruin heaven for you. Um, no streets of gold? What are you talking about, right? Um, so what, are we, what exactly are we being told? Three things. First is this, and we've touched on this before. We will be beautiful. That's the first thing we're being told. Verse 11, this city is radiant, so radiant that it even has the very glory of God itself, himself. Verses 18 through 21, we have this list of precious stones. Remember, the revelation is full of images. What kind of images? Bible images. This list of stones, not the first time it shows up in the Bible. The first time it shows in the Bible is when the tabernacle is being constructed when Israel is in the wilderness and God says, build me a tent so you can worship me in it. And also I want you to build this thing called an ephod that the high priest Aaron, Moses' brother, will wear. And guess what you're gonna put on that vestment? These stones. These precious 
stones. The streets are gold, the gates are pearl. The picture is clear. This place is beautiful. Therefore, for eternity, in the eyes of our God, we will be beautiful. Be honest with me for a second. Is this not what drives everything you do? Is this not what drives everything that you are about in this life? The longing, the desire to know, to be told, to feel that you're beautiful. Guys, girls are not the only ones. Be honest. Some of you, uh, all you need really is just for someone to tell you. And you feel it, right? You, you live for affirmation. It's not a bad thing. <laughs> I hope it's not a bad thing or I'm in trouble. Um, others of you, it's why you work, 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 work. Because you cannot even begin to believe that you are valuable or beautiful unless you've done at least a little something to earn it. Others of you, you will do anything. You have done anything. Just to feel it. Others of you, yet, you say, I I don't need that. I don't need that. All the while, you know that what you're saying is, I'm avoiding it because I don't want to admit it. But here it is. What is our destiny? Everlasting beauty. The second thing about the look, though, we're given detailed descriptions of the dimensions of the city. Um, And here's the thing. If you try to calculate literally the measurements that were given here, you'd understand how absurd it is to think that this is an actual city. For starters, the city would be 1,365 miles long, deep, wide. It's a perfect cube. It's a cube that measures on all sides 1,365 miles. Build the wall. You try to build that wall, right? But there's very, two very clear things that we're being told about this, that, that the measurement is telling us about the city and therefore telling about us. Our immensity as a people and our security. We've seen it before that the people of God will number a number that cannot be numbered. And that with God in our midst for eternity, for eternity, we will be eternally secure. Finally, the last thing about our look is in the first three verses of chapter 22 there at the bottom. The last thing that sticks out about us in heaven is this, that there will be no more longing, no more wishing, no more regretting. All her hurts have been healed as she drinks from the river of life and applies the healing balm of the leaves of the tree of life. The fruit yielding harvest each and every month symbolizing this, that there will never be a moment in heaven when the good things that we experience come up empty. We know that feeling, right? Is that not our greatest fear? That on the other side of all of our working, all of our striving, all of our playing, all of our lazying, all of our Netflixing, all of our achieving, all of our succeeding, all of our sexing, all of our cuddling, whatever you want to call it, right? All of our napping, all of our eating, all of our fitnessing, all of our starving, whatever ing you want to think of. That we have this nagging fear in the back of our head that on the other side of it, though there may at times be some hints of satisfaction, 
that at the end of the day, we will look at those things and realize that all they've really told us is, meh, could have been better. One of the starkest things I've ever seen relates to this is Tom Brady. It was actually some years ago, he did a six, 60 minutes uh, interview. And he says this to the interviewer. He says this. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think that there is something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. But I think, God, it's got to be more than this. The interviewer asks him, well, what is it? And he says, I wish I knew. Right? Here is this. We hear celebrities and wealthy people say things like that all the time. You find me one guy that wouldn't be Tom Brady for a day. Just one. We cannot fight the longing for something more. But we also can't fight the seeking, sinking feeling that no matter what we do, it will never be enough. But what Revelation 21 and 22 are showing us is that it is not so for the beautiful immense, secure, and satisfied bride who finds herself in the loving arms of husband Jesus. Guys, that's you too. Final thing is this, our new life. Because the question we all get caught up with, right, is this. What will it be like, (laughs) right? What will it be like? If it's a new earth, but, but not really a city with streets of gold, then like, what exactly will it be? Well, there's one overarching theme in these two chapters, and I would suggest to you that the reason it closes the Bible is because it is the point of the entire story of the entire Bible, and actually in the entire, uh, all, the, all of history itself, and it's simply this. The essence of heaven is to be with God. Amen. (laughs) The essence of heaven is to be with God. Comes at us right out of the gate in verse 3 of chapter 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them. As their God. Look forward down at verse 22 in, uh, at the end of chapter 21. Uh, it's interesting that it's, we're told, this doesn't really do much for us American white Christians, but um, that there will be no temple. Well, why is that significant? Well, the temple was the place, it was the only place, it was the only geographical location on this entire earth, in the entire universe, where you could physically go. And physically come into the presence of God himself. That was the temple. As God dwelt in the temple, his Shekinah, his dwelling glory would sit in the temple. And as history unfolds in the Old Testament, uh, as more as Israel grows in number, as certain historical events spread uh, Jews and and people from Israel uh, outside of Jerusalem, we still read that at least once every year, Jews would make their way up to Jerusalem and up to the temple to worship. We see Joseph and Mary doing this very thing with Jesus when he's a child, right? 
But this is what this is telling us at the end of chapter 21. That will be no more in heaven. Why? Because the presence of God will not need to be mediated because it will be immediate for all of us. The dimensions of the city actually scream this fact. They are the same length, the same height, same width, same breadth. It's a perfect cube. The image that we have of the city as it comes down out of heaven onto earth is a perfect cube. And the interesting thing is, images in Revelation, what kind of images? Bible images. There's actually two other significant cubes in the Bible. The first one's the Garden of Eden. We know from the way that the Garden of Eden, its geographical location is described in between the rivers, that it was laid out as a perfect square. And then you see so much of the Garden of Eden imagery in these chapters, do you not? The other perfect cube, this is fascinating. First in the tabernacle, but then ultimately in the temple. The innermost room of that building was called the Holy of Holies. It's where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. It's where God's glory physically dwelt. And only one person was allowed to enter that room. And, he, and in that, that, he could only go in there once a year, the high priest. You want to know the, the dimensions of that room? A perfect cube. If the city is a perfect cube, if the city is a bride... If we are the people of God, are the bride, therefore we are the city, then what's the point? We will be the dwelling place of God for eternity. What will heaven be like? That's what it'll be like. The point is heaven is not heaven because there will be an end of pain and death and sorrow, though that certainly will be true. What makes heaven heavenly is that God is there. And there is nothing that separates him from us. And there is nothing that separates us from him. And as I said, that is the whole story of the Bible. And therefore, it is the whole story of life itself. I love this ending to the book. I love this ending to scripture itself. And there really is no better place for us to end this semester. You know, over four years here at Mercer, it has always been, and it's been, it just jumps out at me, my constant prayer, my heart for all of you has always been, it's why I always reiterate the safe place thing. It's not just something I like to say, right? Because my simple prayer is that you all, by coming here and by opening the Bible and by hearing the gospel and really believing that Jesus is who he said he was and did what he said he did, that you would feel safe just being with one another. Because I'll tell you what, Day after day, no matter how many of you I spend my time with, I think this is what I find. Y'all don't think that's possible. Y'all do not think it's possible, whether consciously or subconsciously, that it's possible to be safe with each other. And it's ultimately the only thing that will heal that is for you to know and for you to believe that with him, with this God, you really are safe. Why? And this is what's so beautiful about it. We celebrate it every December because the story, the grand story is not that we have this God that has so clearly shown us the way to be with him. 
What is the story? The story is that there is a God who has moved heaven and earth to do what? To be with you. So much so that he left his place to come to ours so that he might then return and take us with him. It's the only story that can write what is wrong in our world. It's the only thing, it's the only story that can write what is wrong in our hearts. It makes me think, I can't, maybe it's cliche, I don't know, but it makes me think of the end of the return of the king, the Lord of the Rings. As Samwise Gamgee awakes in Rivendell, Uh, after all that he had been through, not knowing what had become of all his other friends. And he wakes up and he sees Gandalf, who he thought was dead. And this is what he says. He says, Gandalf, I thought you were dead. But then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? A great shadow has departed, said Gandalf. And then he laughed. And the sound was like music. Or like water in a parched land. And as he listened, the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter. The pure sound of merriment. For days upon days without count. Is everything sad going to come untrue? The story is this, that the Christian lives his life knowing that the answer to that question is a resounding yes. And all I can really ask is this, do you know it? Do you know that story? Let's pray. Father, as we've said every week, we long to know that story. Father, we've heard it. Maybe we could even tell it. But what we really mean is we want to believe it. Believe that you would do these things for us. Believe that you would destine us for these things. And that you would secure our way to it not by giving us the right steps, but by coming to us first. We thank you for that and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.